are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 158 on the Manola Swingers Club, part two. Part two. Number two. So if you need to listen to part one, go back to 157 and listen to that one first. You're going to need it because there's a lot of stuff going on. Things happened. Things happened. And we saw a lot of you post that y'all watched the documentary and wowzers. It's a it's a crazy tale, isn't it? It really is. I really, truly intended on just watching the first episode for last week. And I was like, nope, I want to sit here and watch all of these. Yep. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Immediately. So we will, we have two pieces of business to talk about real quick. Um, we do have our new merch store available. The sale is over, um, but it is tpublic, dot com backslash stores, backslash mystery, dash history, dash podcast, or you can go to T Public and search MHP and it will pull up the stuff that we have. That feels easier, honestly. It's, it's so much easier. <laughs> That's the one thing I don't like about it is that that is a long link to remember. So just search MHP. It will give you um, our OG logo and our mic. And then you can go to our front, our storefront um, and look for stuff there. You can select any kind of options you want, any color. They got tie dye. That's bomb um you can you can bedazzle whatever you want on there make it your own and we'd love to see it so with this we do not see who orders anything so if you order something please let us know send us a picture of you in it we would love to see what you guys come up with um i love the the ability to make it whatever you want it to be you can get they have like a kelly green color that's awesome um just some cool stuff there so (laughs) That is available. And t-shirts are $22. Flat, $22. You can't beat it. I mean, that's pretty reasonable for a t-shirt. Yep. Agreed. Not like our last website, which was crazy. Nope. Not like it. <laughs> Not like it at all. <laughs> no. Uh, the next piece, we are through um, the episodes that we had listed and planned out. So we are looking for new suggestions. Some of you have sent us messages on things that you'd like to hear of. Thank you for that. We have added them and we'll be adding them to our roster for October and November. Please send us anything that you would like to hear. Um, I feel like it's hard because we feel like we've done certain episodes and like once this episode's done, we're on to the next thing. So we forget sometimes what we've done, what we haven't done. There's something famous out there you want to hear. You let us know. We might've done it. We might not have. We will find out. We will. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, send those to us. We do listen to you all, um, and and we want to do what you want us to. So, so send us what you got. Please do. All right, we're gonna recap real quick. Part one. I'm gonna recap it. it real quick. Okay. There's a lot that we unpacked there. There's a lot of people that we we talked about there sure is so in part one we talked about margie and john cantrell who were career foster parents career is very much underlined bolded triple font i mean it's big time right 
Mm-hmm. They, they obtained custody of siblings Shelby, Hunter, and Carly. And Margie, because she had fostered children in the past that had this, they she believed that they had been sexually abused. So after looking at a property, they used to be an old swingers club. Apparently, that's what they say. The children told Margie that they had been to that location before and were forced to dance for men for money and for supper. Margie took this case to Wood County, where the case was quickly closed because they had zero evidence of anything like that occurring. Margie was pissed and she's like, nope, not on my watch. I'm taking this to Smith County. So she took it to Smith County and the children were interviewed under anything but protocol. Anything, anything you're supposed to do, that's not what happened. The exact opposite happened. Correct. It was opposite day whenever he interviewed these kids. This was done by Ranger Kemp. Who was not Texas, Chuck Norris. Texas Ranger Kemp. What Texas are you Ranger. doing? Not Chuck Norris. Like we all would have hoped for. And this would have been so different. If it would have been Chuck Norris. But it wasn't. He was able to obtain enough evidence. For this to be heard by a grand jury. In Wood County. And that is where we left you. Now I'm going to just give you a list of suspects. Because there's a lot of things going on. We've got Chantel Mayo. She's the mother of Shelby, Hunter, and Carly. We have Jamie Pittman. She's the boyfriend to Chantel. We have Patrick Booger Red, who's a friend to Jamie, acquaintance. You're not going to forget that one, right? (laughs) No. That one's ingrained in your brain forever. (laughs) Sheila and Jimmy Stones. That is the mother and father of Chantel. And the father to Jenny, the mother and father to Jenny, who was a six-year-old aunt to Shelby Hunter and Carly that was also involved in this mess with the dancing and the sex kindergarten and all that stuff. Then we have Dennis Pittman, who is another acquaintance of the group and is not important to note, not related to Jamie in any way. There you have it. There you have it wrapped up in a nice bow. So now we're going to move on. Now we're moving on. June 29th, 2007, Dennis Pittman Patrick Booger Red Kelly, Chantel Mayo, Jamie Pittman, Sheila Sones, and Jimmy Sones are all indicted by a Smith County grand jury on several charges of sexually abusing children alleged to have been committed on August 1st, 2004. All six of them denied having anything to do with this child sex ring. Didn't do June and, it. Yeah, didn't do it. June and July 2007, Booger Red, Chantel, Jamie, Sheila, and Jimmy are arrested in Smith County. Then July 25th, 2007, Dennis Pittman is arrested in Tennessee. Because this was in Texas, right? Correct. Mineola, <laughs> Texas. Okay. In January 2008, Kemp interviewed Gabby again. And out of the four children, she was the only one who had not yet confirmed the allegations. During this interview, she finally did, but did not sound confident. No. After Kemp asked her for an hour and she had denied having gone to the club or dressing up in costumes or dancing, 
he asked her if she'd ever done a play in a building with water around the stage and flowers on the wall. After a long pause, Gabby replied, I can picture it. Kemp asked if she'd been there before, and she said, I think so. Kemp asked her what she did there, and she said, I think dance with Shelby, Hunter, and Carly. So very obviously, she's just repeating what they want to hear because she's been there for a freaking hour. Yeah, they led her into that business. And they explained very graphically what it looked like so of course you can visualize that i can visualize it too i've never been there but i might have <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> i could have been could have been i can visualize it so now we're going to talk about jamie Pittman's trial so this is the boyfriend two months later in march 2008 the first trial began Jamie Pittman's attorney, Jim Hugler, did not cross-examine any of the kids, which I think was a mistake. And he didn't do that because he didn't want to look bad in front of the jury. Oh. Hmm. That was a disservice. Uh, Yeah, because and I think it was most because he didn't know maybe what they were going to say I don't know and it just looks bad to put the kids on the stand but still they are the witnesses they are this is what happened to them yeah that is actually very difficult yeah it's a it's that's a hard (laughs) line to walk what's the right thing there yeah because I mean I'm I would assume the attorney did not think Jamie Pittman was guilty Correct. But in your soul, if you did think that, then it would be really hard to bring those kids up there to face the mm-hmm. person that, yeah, yeah, did these things to them. So, oh, man, that is a rough call. And that if is. you do believe them, yeah, bringing the kids up, anybody watching that would be like, uh, what are you doing? Psychological damage there, buddy. <laughs> right. Joe Murphy, he was the assistant DA, and he's the one that prosecuted all these three cases. So one of Murphy's witnesses was Gail Burris, who was a family counselor and often called on by the state as an expert in child abuse cases. She stated firmly she believed the kids had been abused and Booger Red's kindergarten was a grooming spot, teaching them how to dance, touch each other and masturbate. She defended Kemp's interview techniques, saying she saw nothing that indicated the children were coached or that their statements were contaminated. She said that interviewing children could be tricky, and she thought he did a good job about making them feel safe. She must have been blind. How much is she getting paid by Ranger Kemp? Right? Ranger Kemp's worried about his damn job. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Well, and this woman has been called on by the state in For lots of cases, yeah. That's scary. That is scary. Of course, Murphy's star witness was Margie Cantrell, who Kemp testified as being a caring and loving person. Now, I will say she does appear to be that. Like, in the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning, like the first episode, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. This woman is a saint. Save these kids from this sex kindergarten. And then it started going on. I'm like, oh, my God, it was a roller coaster. And I knew, you know, I texted you like 15 minutes in 
And I was like, something's amiss here, Batman, (laughs) because the kids aren't interviewing with this Lord and Savior woman. Uh, So something's up. (laughs) Yeah. When you caught on right away, I was all about the feels and I was totally, it spun me on my, I mean, I was like, reserve your judgment because for me, I was judging the parents. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I could see you and she... everybody, all these jurors and everybody else for sure. Right. Do you know what, though? Like, Kemp spent a lot of time with her. Mm-hmm. And you would think with his line of work that you would have better judgment of character. Yes. After, especially after being with her for a long time, because they definitely interview other people that are like, oh, you're with her for a few minutes. You think she's great. You're with her for Mm -hmm. 10 minutes and you start to realize that she's not. Right. Right. And you could see the longer she would talk. It was like, ooh. 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 (laughs) Yeah. When she was on the stand, she talked about her long career as a foster parent to troubled children. She contradicted herself on the stand, saying that they hadn't gone inside the club whenever they first went to the property. But when she filled out her police report, she stated they had. Now, why they didn't jump all over that shit, I don't know. Why didn't they jump all over that shit? I think they were. That's a big one. That is a big one. But I think they were judging like I was in the beginning. And Jamie's verdict was guilty with life in prison. And that verdict was delivered only after four minutes of deliberation. Four minutes. That's all it took them. So they already had their mind made up the whole time. Before they even sat down in the chairs, they had their mind made up that he was guilty. Wow. Chantel's trial took place two months later, and it was similar to Jamie's. The children were not cross-examined. The jury took six minutes to sentence Chantel. And on May 8th, 2008, she's sentenced to life in prison after a jury convicts her of engaging in organized criminal activity. She was also convicted and sentenced to 20 years in prison each on two counts of sexual performance by a child. Mm. Sherry and Russ Adams, the owners of the Swingers Club, were investigated. During the trial, she said that she never saw any of the defendants and that she knew nothing about the alleged sexual abuse, which like, what? She's the owner. What? Yeah. She she was making, if you remember from part one, she would make them breakfast sandwiches and like all kinds of stuff. Like, it sounds like a very nice. A bed and breakfast situation. (laughs) Everybody knows your name. Like, cheers. Not this. Not this. You would have seen. You would have seen a child. Right. It would have happened. It doesn't make any sense. No. Ugh. I hate this. Wood County investigators found a transcript of Shelby and Hunter's from May seventeenth, two thousand and five, that had been taped at the Smith County CAC, where the two children had stated they hadn't been abused. There was no physical evidence that put the children in the building, nor any witnesses that could ID that the children were ever in the building. The building is 50 yards away from the highway next to the newspaper with huge spotlights in the front and back. And let's just take a moment to remember 
the newspaper man had his eyeballs over there and was watching what was going on. Yes, and he was very damning. Like he wanted that place to burn. He to was the after. Yeah, he was after them. So if he would have seen a child go in there, oh, yeah. And he was looking. That's kind of the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. He was watching. So nobody witnessed the kids going in or out. It's near a neighborhood populated by cops across the street from a nursing home where people spend lots of time looking out of their windows. Out of the 45,000 people of Wood County, no one saw any kids go into that building. Ever. Ever. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. How are we here? How did we get this? He must, that ranger, he must have known how to get it in front of people. (laughs) What do you think? What do you think he feels like now? I would love to watch an interview with him. I hope not that he would ever do one. No, (laughs) but yeah, hopefully remorse. I wonder if he still like sticks to it. I don't know. I think so. I think he probably does. I mean, I wonder if he, well, I wonder then if he thinks that they're guilty still, or if he thinks that, um, what's her name? Margie. Margie is just like the best con artist ever. And he got conned. Maybe either way, I don't think he'd admit it. <laughs> I think, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's gonna ride this train till he's dead because that's a huge screw up. We should look it up though. I want to know. I know okay. where he's at now. I know that he's retired, we'll say at the end, but that's oh, okay. But now this gets even more interesting. If it hasn't been interesting yet, it just gets more interesting. June 18th, 2008, three weeks after uh, Chantel's trial, officers from Wood County executed an arrest warrant for John Cantrell, that's Margie's husband, who was the whistleblower, by the DA's office from Solano County, California, after allegations were brought forth by their adoptive daughter, Jenna. Okay? Jenna... Came to live with Margie and John in 1985, whenever she was seven, and claims that John would touch, lick, kiss, and try to teach the girls how to French kiss. Ugh. (laughs) Margie was not innocent. She was physically abusive, strangling her, and would verbally abuse her, telling Jenna she hated her. Now, this is a seven-year-old. Jenna started drinking at the age of nine or 10 to cope with all of this craziness. Margie said Jenna was deeply troubled. And then she threw in that she tried to microwave the family cat. Now that is a great con to get people to be like, this Jenna girl is crazy because who tries to microwave a cat? Seriously. But everybody needs to know that the cat's fine. Someone caught her apparently trying to do it, and the cat was rescued. Everybody's fine. The cat. I wonder if that's um. I wonder if that's made up. Did Jenna say she did that? She did not confirm or deny, but I'm sure (laughs) that she would not agree with that statement. When Margie and John moved to Texas, Jenna was 24, but she went with them because she didn't have any ID, no documentation. They didn't give her any of that stuff. 
pretty much to keep her there with them. Yeah, she was raised in a way that made her reliant on them, made her think that she could not possibly manage on her own Mm -hmm. and that she needed them. So it was a big psychological game. And this is what Margie would do with all the kids. That need of, I need you to live, basically. Shortly after the move, she met a man named David, and they got married. David wasn't in this crazy life and didn't like the Cantrells, and he noticed that something was off. Uh, When news broke about the Swingers Club, Jenna confided in her husband about the abuse that she had suffered. David told her to go to the authorities, and that's what she did. Now... All of the Cantrell's biological children deny ever receiving or seeing any abuse. And in the documentary, Jenna said that, of course, that they didn't, that they treated their own biological children different than their adoptive or foster kids. And that's probably very true. So now (laughs) the kicker is that Jenna and David had seen Margie out with Shelby And Shelby told Margie that she had seen David at the club. And now this is after she accused John Cantrell of all of this mess, that he was one of the people who abused her. So Shelby, one of the foster children, told Margie, the foster mom, that she had seen Jenna, the foster child, that accused Margie's husband of abusing Mm -hmm. the children. She saw her boyfriend, husband person at the sex club. Correct. Little fishy. Wow. (laughs) Little fishy. So Margie took it to the police like she does. And David was questioned. Now, Shelby had said that he was a DJ and the DJ had a tattoo of a dragon on his back. So the police made David remove his shirt and thank God he did not have a dragon on his back. <laughs> thank God. Thank God. Cause if Shelby would have seen that or Margie would have seen that, Oh, it would have been all over. And he's heavily tattooed. So, I mean, the odds that she he could have had, had a 25% <laughs> 20, I would say it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So Jenna and David, of course, like everyone else in the world, believe that this allegation was retaliation for Margie on the accusation that she made of John of her abusing Jenna. I wonder if Margie coached Shelby to say there was a dragon on his back knowing there wasn't and that it was just a warning. Oh, yeah. Like like a warning shot or if Shelby was being interviewed as a child and was making extra things up and that just like screwed up Margie's plans. Like, I wonder which one of those two things happened. I would be willing to bet that the second happened that Shelby. I think it's that too. Went off the rails a little bit and ruined it because think of how many lives this woman has ruined. Yeah. She would have no qualms with ruining no david's life i just wondered about jenna and and these people that she's ruining their lives have done absolutely nothing to her and jenna is actively making claims that she is you know that that she was molested Mm -hmm. 
luckily for David, the charges were dropped and he was able to go home because there was no evidence like everything else. There's no evidence. Yeah. Um, And I think that we talk about this maybe a little later, but the charges were also dropped against John in 2009 only because they were outside the statute of limitations. And I think that the statute of limitations should never be a thing. Especially not for child abuse. But also, Jenna didn't show up in court. Oh, yeah. I missed that part in the notes. I believe that also happened. That would so, be hard. That would be hard. That would be hard. And if you have to travel, they would have had to travel to California. Because he right. was in jail in California, and Jenna would have had to travel to California to show up in court so something that's already hard that you would also have to travel for like that yeah booger red's lawyer thad davidson we're talking about booger red's trial now asked for a postponement of booger's trial because of john cantrell's arrest and judge jack skeen jr agreed but stated that the california charges would not be allowed to be mentioned in his court just bullshit That is bullshit. Booger's mother had cashed in her 401k to pay for Thad Davidson to make sure her son got fair representation, which breaks my entire heart. Mm -hmm. That is so sad. Right. That she had to do that. And then, too, to know what you know by the end. Like, for nothing. There's Mm -hmm. no reason for it. There was no, I mean, she needed to do that. Yeah. Right. I mean, to help him. But he should have never been charged. It's just such a mess. Davidson tried to get the trial moved, believing there was no way that he was going to get a fair trial. Booger was married with a 16-year-old son, Steve, named Boogie, who was placed in a group home by CPS. And social workers had done dozens of interviews with family and friends, none of which had heard of kids stripping at his trailer but said that they were always around riding trikes and playing outside, which we knew. Right. They'd been to the trailer. Lots of times. But not for the sex kindergarten. Sex kindergarten. Yeah. Which is just two words that should not be together. Ever. Ever. It's just so weird. (laughs) Mm. James Woods, a professor of psychology at the University of Texas at El Paso, and recognized researcher on interviewing children who had closely studied cases of ritual abuse in the 80s and 90s believed that this case mimicked a famous case he had seen where children had been implanted with false memories. He said, quote, it became apparent that the investigation had the classic features of a bogus case, many victims, many perpetrators, a lack of solid evidence, bizarre stories, highly improper and suggestive interviewing, children being pressured by adults to make allegations and major inconsistencies and contradictions in the statements, which is all 100% true. Mm -hmm. He pointed out that at first, the kids had repeatedly declined to confirm anything about the club or kindergarten. He said, quote, we know that 80 to 90% of sexually abused kids who are formally asked about abuse will report it. Yet every single child in Mineola denied it when first interviewed and later only repeated it after questioning, sometimes extending over several months or even years. 
did the children begin to allege sexual abuse? That is very powerful. 80 to 90 percent. Yeah. Is significantly higher than I thought it was going to be. I agree. I think that, yeah, that number seems very high. Don't you just wish you could go around asking all children if they're sexually abused formally? Yes. Because you would discover so much from that. Right. But then you'd probably traumatize some other kids that don't know what sexual (laughs) abuse is yet. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Good and bad. (laughs) Right. Comes with its pros and cons. But dang, that is a really high percentage. Mm -hmm. And then what happened in this case where they were like, nope, that's it. Nope. Yeah. Mm. Wood had volunteered to work Booger's case for free and helped Davidson develop questions for Kemp and helped his co-counsel, Tina Brumbelow, on the cross-examination of the children. Shelby was on the stand for nine hours. She said that 50 videos and 20 costumes had been burned in a fire pit at Booger Red's trailer when she had visited, which she had visited more than 60 times. She also said that Jamie had shot a dog and hanged some chickens and that Sones had cast spells from a spell book. It's just so we are, yeah, getting, yeah, bizarre stories, bizarre stories right here. That children tell fantastical stories. Hunter testified that he had to do bad stuff with his mom. Gabby also used the phrase bad stuff, and when Tina asked what she meant, she said, stuff nobody wants to hear about. Gabby primarily answered with, I don't know or I don't remember. Right. Dang. Kemp was on the stand for three days defending his interview techniques, saying he used common sense. (laughs) No, you didn't. During the second day, Davidson had learned that Sherry Adams, owner of the Swingers Club, had stated no children and none of the defendants had ever been to the club, which that is really all you need to know. Case closed. We're done here. Like, that's (laughs) it. Yeah. Davidson moved for a mistrial, arguing the defense should have given them this crucial evidence earlier. The mistrial was denied and the trial continued. Davidson had three swingers testify that neither the children or the defendants had ever been at the retreat, which is like a big deal to convince three people in that neighborhood to come stand up and say that they hadn't been there, but at the same time admit that they were swingers. Well, and and not only were the children not there, but neither, yeah, the dead defendants there. never were there either. Yeah. <laughs> no. Booger took the stand and said he had never been to the retreat or trained kids to do sex shows. He knew Mayo and Pittman, who would come over with their kids on the weekend and they would barbecue, play country music, and dance in the living room. He said he never touched the children. The jury took less than two hours and on August 21st, 2008, Kelly is sentenced to life in prison after a jury convicts him of engaging in organized criminal activity. So at least they took a little bit longer than four, six or eight minutes. I mean, they thought a little bit longer on it, but still the result is the same. That's just awful. Now we're going to talk about Dennis Pittman's trial. Gabby was the first witness called back for Dennis Pittman's trial in 2010. 
So all this happened in 20 or 2004, whenever all of this started. And now we're in 2010. So this has been going on like for years and years and years of her life. While DA Matt Bingham prodded her with questions about the swingers club, she answered with, I have no clue or I don't know. She was asked about the sex kindergarten and became defiant with Matt stating, I've remembered in my mind that that never happened. Matt was stunned, obviously, because that's not what he thought that she was going to say, and asked her when she decided in her mind that the kindergarten never happened. And she answered last week, the week before that. I mean, she's sassy and I like it. She is very sassy. (laughs) He asked her what made you decide that it never happened. And she answered God. So wowzers. Yeah. In, In her testimony, Gabby said that everything was a lie. She confessed that Carly's paternal grandmother who reported the outcry to Margie that Gabby was involved in all of this, who she went to live with after CPS took her away from her parents, made it all up. Gabby was upset and told Matt after this trial, she would never testify at another one, but was proud of herself for finally telling the truth. I bet like all of that. And just like what a whirlwind for a child to be kind of put in involved these memories. In that. Well, and, and after you say something so many times, I could see it's where it true. becomes a memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was just, you know, the, the saddest part of this whole thing, Dennis Pittman received a life sentence of engaging in organized criminal activity in July 2010. Unfortunately, Dennis died on May 11th, 2023 at the age of 75 in prison after serving four years in jail. So he passed away in prison that made me cry that's awful and there's not terrible i tried to look up what happened like how he died and i couldn't i found the website like that the state notified but it just said that he passed i can't remember if the documentary says or not I, they kind of, if you're not paying real close attention, they kind of just gloss over it very quickly, I feel like. like That he they, died? Yeah, I think. I don't think they did because they bring up, I mean, we're going to talk about the rest of it later. Let's wrap back around on okay. this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Plea deals and releases and catching up. Let's wrap around back on it as soon as I finish this part. Okay. Jimmy was offered a plea deal from the DA's office if he testified against the others and he could walk free. Damn. Damn. Jimmy refused to lie. Sheila and Chantel were presented with the same offer and all of them told the DA to kiss their asses. Thank God. (laughs) That they're standing as a united front... Against these happen. allegations. Right. And you know what? If it did happen, one of them would have folded. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Somebody would have folded. So, dang. Several CPS officials came to Jimmy with a letter Gabby had written to her counselor where she threatened to kill herself. That is heartbreaking. After the letter, Jimmy reached out to his lawyer to see what kind of deal they could make. 
The lawyer came back with the deal to plead guilty to injury to a child that did not require registering as a sex offender and go free. Jimmy signed that deal and along with everyone else. Everybody else signed that deal except Dennis. The court had ordered Sheila and Jimmy to not speak to their daughter, Gabby, until she was 18 years old as part of the deal, and that ate Jimmy up. He joined Facebook and created a page dedicated to her with photos of Gabby as a young girl. I feel like we need to pause and, like, back up here for a second. Yeah, go into it. Everybody got this plea deal where they had to say that they had pleaded guilty to injury to a child and then they could all go free. Why would you offer that? Right. Because they knew they didn't have anything. They knew they messed up. They knew they had messed up and that it was going to come around later to bite them. But the way they set this up, then Jimmy and Sheila didn't get to see their daughter until she was 18 if she came to look for them right correct so there you can't reach out you just have to wait until she's old enough which is just so freaking sad yes and then dennis didn't get the plea deal because he was either gosh now i forget what the word is he was doing something in the court system where he was trying to get either another a re- um like ruling or appeal re- he was doing an yeah. appeal he was doing an appeal and i guess they the person that set the plea deals up thought that he would just either get out with that appeal or he would get the plea deal once things like came back around right but they didn't come back around he passed away before happened yeah before that before that happened now you said up here that he died at the age of 75 after serving four years in jail Mm -hmm. that's not true that's what i read four years he was was in jail for four years he received a life sentence in july 2010 oh you're right that's not right math Hold on. What is that then? 20. And he had already been in jail before that too for four years, I think. So 13 years plus four, 17 years. And I'm pretty sure he was in there for 10 years. If I remember correctly, which I might not, I feel like he was in there for 10, at least 10 years longer than everybody else. Like they all got their plea deals and he was in longer. Because everybody like 10 years plea deal at four years everybody was in jail with time served for four years and then they got out and he was in there for all that extra time 13 years or however long yes and they thought he was gonna get that plea deal once like and get out with them but he didn't like how messed up is that the justice system is so messed up to leave that poor man in prison like that they admitted basically their wrongdoing and let everyone else out, but then they just let him rot in prison like a life doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. 
that made me so freaking mad. And I think that's why I feel like they did address that in the documentary. They weren't as mad sounding as I am right now, I don't think. (laughs) But I was crying and I'm just, it just tears me up that, that our justice system would knowingly do that. Yeah. Like, mm. (laughs) so mad. It's just a tragedy along with all these other, this entire story is a tragedy, but that really, because it was so final, he died. It makes me so mad. (laughs) Right. Well, and, and yeah, just like with, and, and yes, death is like the ultimate worst case scenario. And just like with, you know, Jimmy, they all got out, but all of them were not allowed to contact their kids. Mm hmm. It's, I don't know. It's so, just... which, what is life without that? Exactly. Exactly. In the spring of 2014, Gabby Sohn was still living in foster care and she was struggling with her adoptive parents. Searching through Facebook, she found her father and sent him a message saying, is this the Jimmy Sones whose daughter was taken away? He replied back with his phone number, and when he answered the call, it was Gabby. Sheila, Jimmy, and Gabby were able to catch up on lost time, so she wasn't 18 yet. No. But she found them. Correct. And they took her. Oh, yes. (laughs) And they were so happy. Yeah, they were so happy. And, you know, I wonder, they could have gotten in trouble for that, right? I don't know. I would assume that they could have because she was still under the age of 18. Yeah. But she reached, like, he made that Facebook page. For that purpose, basically. Yeah, memorialize her in hopes that one day she would see it. And she did. Yeah. Which is beautiful. It is. Chantel was also restricted from reaching out to her children, Shelby Hunter and Carly, after her release. And the kicker for her is that the children stayed in the custody of Margie and John. That would be infuriating. I feel like I don't know if I could contain myself. (laughs) I know because you'd be out and you would be able to drive to her house and kick her and murder her. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um. Hunter claims in the documentary that the whole time he lived with the Cantrells was the worst time of his life. Margie constantly put on a show to portray a happy big family, but things at home were violent with Margie. And we've heard that before from Jenna, that things were not good. He said that everything set Margie off. Something as simple as taking a cookie without asking, going outside without asking, talking to the neighbors without asking. There is... No rhyme or reason, anything could have set her off. And there were a few things that they noted in the documentary that I wanted to note here. So they used a wooden back scratcher and they would make you pull down your pants and they would smack your butt. And if you would cry, they would hit you harder. And that was Carly had had said that. Um, Hunter claims that he was repeatedly um, had his head bashed into a door frame by Margie and Carly um, had her head slammed into the tile floor by Margie. So these are all things that could have essentially killed someone. Yeah. I mean, aside from the butt whooping. The butt but... whoopings. Yeah, no, but the head smashing situations. Yes. Yeah. And Margie claims that Carly was never hit 
and Hunter was smacked around a few times. <laughs> so, Which, I mean, at least she, fair. you know, right. <laughs> Has, had to make it believable. <laughs> uh, right. We've all smacked our children. I mean, it just happens. <laughs> Maybe not all of us, but I've never everybody here right head. now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Evie's gotten her butt whooped before, but I've never and would never slam her head into anything. Yeah. What is that? How could you do that to a child? I don't care how people's... mad I would be. I know. Me either. It's so amazing to me. Like people's tempers can right. lead to something like that. I don't know. It's crazy. October 2013, a series of 911 calls from concerned neighbors are made and Hunter, Hunter and Carly are questioned by CPS. A hearing was held regarding the welfare of their safety. The children were removed from the Cantrell's home. They had been living with the Cantrell's for nine years. Mm. Now, Margie's credibility was being seriously questioned. Margie and John decided to move back to Vacaville, California with what they could fit in a U-Haul. So they just packed up the house and left in the dead of night kind of situation. Yep. The children were relieved to be leaving the Cantrell's. Gabby confessed to a reporter and said everything they said was a lie. Sex kindergarten, all of the adults were innocent. They messed with her head and screwed up her life and screwed up so many others. Hunter also recanted. He said that he spoke with his sister Carly and asked if she remembered anything that happened to them. She wasn't able to remember anything either. He said Margie had brainwashed them to believe it was true, and they just started repeating what they were told. Shelby has not recanted anything. <laughs> right. Which I find odd. I also find that odd because she was the oldest of the kids. Right. So you would think memory-wise she would know more than, like, the youngest that that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe, I don't know, maybe she just wants to be done with it and not talk about it anymore. I could see that, too. But if your mother... I don't think so. Was yeah. ...was on trial, like, for something terrible, like, not only is child molestation and doing all of that stuff awful to just children in general, but then to be blamed to do that to your own children... That's just another level of another awful. layer to it. Yeah. Um, Jamie and Chantel, I believe, are still together. Um, she had mentioned in the documentary that he had actually helped her after they got out of prison or jail, I guess prison, um, to get over the anxiety that she had for blaming herself. Um, she really, and how could you not? I mean, she did not cause all of this shitstorm that mm. took place but she believes that if she never would have started taking drugs the children wouldn't have been taken away they never would have met margie and none of this would have happened and to some degree she's not wrong yeah while that is true that is not a fair consequence to her decision to do drugs having your children taken away is a fair consequence but you still have the opportunity to clean up and get your kids back yes and she didn't have that no which is so sad 
so sad. When and Chantel, Jamie, Patrick Booger Red, and Sheila and Jimmy Stones, they continue to have felony convictions on their record, even though they're free and they took the plea deal. Th- that will be on there until something else happens, which I hope to God it does. Yeah, everything should be wiped. I mean, now that that documentary came out, I hope more people watch it. Yeah, and see. And do, are able to do something. Yeah, it is completely insane. It's harder to get a job with a felony record and anything else that you ever do, like probably speeding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you probably get like treated worse, I imagine. Like just everything that comes along with that is ridiculous. Right. So motives for this crime Margie and John Cantrell have been paid almost $110,000 by the state for fostering Shelby, Shelby Hunter and Carly within 18 months. Yeah. And they had them for nine years. So from an economic point of view, if parents are convicted of a crime, the children will not be returned to them and will be a steady source of income. So not only if they're in a bad situation and they have emotional issues or whatever they get a pay bump for that but then if the parents are in prison they're guaranteeing that they're going to have those kids correct forever (laughs) forever every single child that they had had issues exacerbated by margie correct right and the crazy thing to me is at this point, Margie and John have never been charged with any of the crimes that took place in Mineola. They continue to live life in California, surrounded by grandkids. Margie takes care of John, who's apparently suffers from PTSD, and she likes to swim. Like, who cares, Margie? Shut up. Her only regret in this whole mess is that she had to leave her home and possessions in Mineola. And run away, essentially, with a U-Haul in the middle of the night. Like, yeah, that's that's her big takeaway from all of this. And well, she can't say she regrets anything else because that would be admitting guilt. <laughs> Correct. And I really think like, you know, there's just some people that just like these kids, right? Like you tell the story enough times that you start believing it. Maybe she does believe it in her mind that this happened and that she was trying to save them. I don't, I really, I don't know. And I think that it's good that we can't understand it because that means we're not crazy. Yeah, <laughs> right? she's psychotic like, for sure. And and good old Ranger Kemp, not Chuck Norris, Texas Ranger, retired from the Texas Rangers in 2019, which is not that long ago. So he was still like doing his thing. Hopefully not interviewing any more children. Hopefully not. (laughs) You know, three, four years ago. That's crazy. (laughs) It's so crazy. All of it is just absolutely insane. I was was typing up some notes and I was watching uh, another piece of the documentary again. And Josh came and sat down in the chair. And I was like, listen, I just got to tell you this in a really bite-sized version. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I started like... (laughs) going like this lady and this is great and he's just like oh my god i'm like i know like this is insanity it is it's crazy 
And it's not just the kids that I'm sure have so much, so many issues. It's the lost time that the parents had, the lost time with their kids, for themselves, for everyone, all of this mess for nothing, for with no For money, for money. For money. It's all Even when you get all the way down to it, and it's not even that much money. Like no. it's a, it is like a decent amount of money, but they're taking care of all those kids. I mean, what does that equate out to? Whatever it does, it's not worth. It's not worth it. No, knowing not- you're gonna ruin people's lives. Well, and that just I think goes to show you the amount of like crazy that she is. That that's how greed works. People yeah. do that. For, people will murder someone for twenty dollars in their pocket. Like. Yeah, which is just insane. It is. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's just crazy the ripple effect of how many people this that's really the the most shocking to me is how many people were affected by this for this woman's lie for so many years with Dennis Pittman dying, not being free for a crime he didn't commit that he'll never get to any redemption for that will be stained Mm -hmm. on his record forever. Um, it's and even if everybody knows that it's just the part that like everybody else got out yeah and it was just known and he should not have been there and then he died and yeah with these families with their children losing the kids entire childhood basically right they lost their opportunities to be parents because of some random ass woman's lies that was supposed to be you're supposed to be a foster parent to be hopeful and have that calling and want to take care of people and put them in a better home and and try to help them grow and your end goal should always be to get them back with their parents if they can straighten up and get what they need for because that's best for the child Mm-hmm. it's selfishness it's so many things and Sickening. i just it, it is and and especially like after they were out the whole like not being able to contact your child because really at that point yeah they're out of prison but they didn't win they didn't no win. no they didn't win and it's also because they're poor yes, yes. all of those people were poor yes which just adds another layer again to like how disgusting this woman is and then her husband is accused of sexual abuse and it sounds like he was pretty freaking guilty and the kids and she's bringing work. kids in this house yeah she's bringing the kids and then poor Chantel knows that her kids are still in a place with a accused child molester mm-hmm I and can't. She, and oh. she even said that uh, in the documentary, like that she was bad, like it was not good to be doing drugs around her children. And she fully um, admits that. But CPS took her kids and put them in a worse situation. Uh huh. Than what absolutely. they were in. Absolutely. And we, and this her is strength. Second. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. To, to, to not be out. And have the kids with this woman that ruined your whole life. <laughs> but knowing if you do something 
it could completely mess up any chance of you ever mm-hmm. having your kids again. I mean, the strength that it would take to like keep that at the forefront of your mind so you don't just walk over and shoot this woman in her head. Yeah. Well, and I just, the, this is a complete side tangent, not even really having anything to do with this, but you touched on something about like being poor, right? So I don't yeah. know if you've seen on Facebook about the ice cream situation at Lebanon City Schools. Did I did see, see that? that. Yeah. So Lebanon is a city near us. That's where my husband actually grew up. And they are very privileged folk, most of them. Um, and they don't have a lot of poor people in that area. Um, but they were doing an ice cream thing where they were bringing an ice cream for the kids. And if you had a negative balance on your um cafeteria card you were not allowed to get any ice cream nor were you allowed to bring any money from home nor were you allowed to buy one for your friend and give it to them if they didn't have any money and this is this is something that is so shocking to me because you want your children to be raised where they will take care of their neighbor if they have the ability like if Evie was getting something and she knew somebody that needed one, I would want her to try to give that kid something. Right. And you're taking that away from these kids, the ability to do that. So there is a lady in Middletown. Worse, hold on, though. Worse than that is these are children that are going to have to sit and watch their friends eat ice cream because they're poor. Uh, exactly. And they exactly. are children right. that have nothing to do with any of that. Like, Give these kids freaking ice cream. Right. <laughs> well, and what I'm trying to find. Um, so there is, let's see, there is a Middletown business owner that stepped in. So this is not a town that, I mean, they're, they're close, but not really. Um, so Jade King of Miss Jade's Soul Food in downtown Middletown. And Middletown is a lower income town she paid over four hundred dollars of accumulated lunch debt to the students of this elementary school these are these are third and fourth graders that Mm -hmm. they were going to stop them from eating ice cream she paid to cover all of that so every kid could get an ice cream like I just need to shout her out. I know most of you aren't from Ohio, but go eat at Jade's Soul Food in downtown Middletown, Ohio, if you're there, because what a stand up member of society. And we know since COVID, you know, any kind of restaurant family owned has not been doing great. Yeah. And that $400 is probably, you know, a, a meat run or something like a payroll or something for her. And that's not the first time that she's done stuff like that. And that is just like, that is what this world needs, needs to be. Mm-hmm. That she's is being what it the needs. good in the world that and she wishes to see. And that's what we should have our children see also. Not, sorry, if you're poor, you don't get this. Yeah. They're kids. Let them eat the damn ice cream. It's just heartbreaking. That that even had to be done. That that even had to be, that they had to make it a point, like, to say all that stuff. Like, what they, they look like assholes. 
They do. And they even came out and like retried to do it. But you also, I mean, I also understand schools don't have the extra money. I mean, teachers are buying stuff out of their own pocket. You know, that's also another thing that's a problem. But don't say kids aren't going to get ice cream. Like, we got to figure it out. Exactly. Exactly. Like, we got to figure it out. You should figure You can figure it out in your own school system if you need to, whatever. Like, let's figure it out because there's always going to be people there that are willing to step up and help with things like that. And mm-hmm. I think the general communities know that schools, you know, are hurting too. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't uh, know. It was, that was it's- just a really <laughs> touching, that really touched my heart. And I plan to eat at her establishment. I will make a trip to Middletown. And I will Mm -hmm. put a lot of money in the tip jar because good on you, Jake. That's right. Anyway, that took a weird segue, but (laughs) it was important to say. So my sources, of course, how to create a sex scandal on HBO docuseries three-parter. Rachel meant to watch one episode. She watched all three. It's riveting. It really is. Uh, The Daily Mail. TexasMonthly.com, DallasObserver.com, KLTV.com, NBC, DFW.com. I think I screwed that one up last time. (laughs) CBS19.tv, Corrections.az.gov. That's where I got the information on Dennis Pittman and his death. So, wow. Wild ride. Still pissed. We'll forever forever yeah forever <laughs> there's forever. nothing that they can do to fix this now <laughs> nope it's been done um at minimum put margie and john in prison it's a little bit better about it maybe that's what, that's what i would like i would like to see some charges be brought forth for her that is the least even restitution you know what i mean like some payback to these families for the 401k that was diminished for you know just the the struggle of of the the job that they couldn't get because they have a felony on their record all yeah all the the time lost all of it so don't forget t public we got merch there that's cool whatever you want it to be it could be yours with our logo on it just google or go to tpublic.com and search mhp and you will find our stuff. And it will also be included in the show notes. Yep. We hope you all have a lovely week. We hope you enjoyed episode 158 on the Mineola Swingers Club Part 2. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.